On the benefit side, there are very, very steep cliffs that you fall over if you make too much money. Let me give you a real life example that just happened in my life in this past spring. I'm Jen O'Brien. And I'm Bill Fian. And this is another episode of Fact Check. Our guest today is Senator Dale Kuyanga, served in the U.S. Army in Iraq and was awarded the Bronze Star, currently serving in the U.S. Army Reserve at the rank of major, worked as an accountant prior to being elected to the State Assembly in 2010, when Governor Walker and Republicans took control of state government. Completing his first term as a state senator up for election in 2022, he is a small business owner. Please welcome to the Fact Check Podcast, Senator Dale Kuyenga. Thanks for having me. Now, we're excited to talk to you about lots of issues today, but I know that Bill has something specific in mind with regard to young people seeking higher education and licensure. What's going on, Bill? Right. Well, I had the opportunity to work with then-Assembly Representative Dale Kuyanga and State Senator Chris Kapinga when they crafted legislation that Governor Walker signed back in November of 2017. This uh, did some really good things for people in our state that work in the cosmetology industry. So for those people who don't know... My wife is Sue Colby Fian. We operate Sue Colby Salon and Day Spa, and we also operate the Salon Professional Academy, a cosmetology school in Onalaska. And so there were a couple of things that were accomplished in that legislation. So prior to all of this, up until that time, people who graduated for cosmetology school, after they passed their state licensing exams, would have to go to work in a salon for two years and get over 2,000 hours of service before they could start their own salon business. And there were other problems with this manager's license that existed at the time. But from my perspective, one of the great things that that legislation did was it eliminated the barrier for people who wanted to go out and start their own business. So if you've graduated from a cosmetology school and you've gotten your license today, you can go right out and start practicing the trade that you've been educated in. And so that was something that I thought was quite important. So that bill also allowed cosmetologists to practice outside of the establishment, like at a wedding. And in fact, we have an actual example of this happening right here in La Crosse County. Celebrations on the river holds hundreds of weddings every year. And because of that legislation, Brides can now have a cosmetologist come from a local business to the place that they're holding their wedding, and those services can be performed. So I just want to say thank you to Senator Kuyenga for his involvement in helping to remove barriers to people doing business and creating businesses. you got to make those brides happy. <laughs> it's the bride's day, and it's their wedding day. You can't be like, well, the state law says you can't have your cosmetologist come here. So- Absolutely. This seems to be a topic that's that's been of concern to you because I know that you're interested in occupational licensure, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to tell us a little bit about why you're interested in, in it in a minute. But another issue that didn't get resolved at that time that we're hoping to see some movement on in this fall legislative session is the issue of where people take their licensing exams. So at present... The people that graduate from a cos- our cosmetology school here in La Crosse County have to go to Eau Claire, Appleton, 
or Madison to take the licensure test to, so that they can begin to work. And, and to me, that just doesn't make much sense. In Minnesota and Iowa, the schools are allowed to administer these tests. So I'm hoping that we might see some kind of movement with legislation this fall to change that. Uh, so I just wanted to mention that. But can you, can you bring us up to speed a little bit about this issue of occupational licensure and why you're interested in it? Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of different reasons I'm interested in it. But from a personal standpoint, I'll never forget being at Lakeland College. And I got there, it was the fall of 1999, and I was a transfer student. I played two years of community college basketball, then I got recruited to Lakeland. And I got there, and I sat down with my counselor, looked at my class schedule, and she said, okay, you're all set to graduate the spring of 2002. And I said, no, it's, that's, I'm going to graduate the spring of 2001. I have a four-year college plan, and I'm paying for my own college, and I'm not, like, I'm, I'm not going to go to school. And she's like, oh, you didn't hear. The state legislature just changed the law, and now in order to be a CPA, I was an accounting major, you need to have 150 credit hours. And I was just dumbfounded. I mean, I, I did the math in my head, and one more year at Lakeland, by the way, my scholarships were only good for two years, so third year of, of school would have been another 30000 plus living expenses. Let's say that's 20000 right there, so we're at fifty. Well, then a year of lost income, so that's another fifty. So that act of the legislature saying that you need to go to school for a whole other year for accounting was a $100,000 bill for me, who is the son of a garbage man and a nurse, like paying for my own school. And so what I did is I hurried up and I graduated December 31, 2000, hours before the new law went into effect. <laughs> I just slipped in right into the radar. I took a lot of classes uh, every semester and summer school, and I slipped in right under the radar uh, before that law went into effect. But that woke me up, and, and I wasn't politically involved for years after that, but looking back on that, is when you have occupational licensing, when you have onerous government saying, we don't care what the market demands, we don't care if this has any impact on health and safety, we're just doing it because the industry, they hit all the time, the industry asks for this. Well, of course, the industries or the professionals ask for it. They're asking for it because they want to keep their elbows out. They want to put a fence up. And they want to keep their limited numbers doing what they're doing while cutting off the supply of what other people can do to provide those services. And so we see that across many professions very frequently, and it's a battle. And, and my strategy over my time in the legislature has been to talk about it um, and talk about, I think this is a social injustice, a social injustice that primarily hits people in rural settings and in city settings that come from places where they're working for a living and don't have um, a lot of resources and previous college education to pay for the bill. Um, and I've been just nicking away at it, like profession by profession, one bill at a time. We do dozens of bills on this. And just over time, like, first of all, playing defense, making sure that no additional fences or, or hurdles are being put up to stop people from practicing their trade. Well, that seems to just make a lot of sense in a state where we can't find enough workers right now to eliminate unnecessary hurdles for people to go to work. Seems just That seems like common sense, and, and it seems like the right thing to do. Currently, your office is working on several bills that are intended to help people go to work. 
SB 232 would provide provisional licensure. This is a subject that has impacted our business in the past. We, we have people that move to Wisconsin from other states, and one person I'm thinking of moved here from Florida, and uh, she couldn't get her license approved through uh, DSPS. And so she actually worked for us for a couple of months, and we paid her to do other things like work at the front desk, but she couldn't actually practice as a cosmetologist because of the bureaucracy that existed in approving her licensure in the state of Wisconsin. So tell us a little bit about what SB 232 would do to help remove barriers for people going to work. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny because as someone who always wants to take power out of Madison, um, it does a funny little thing, and that is actually gives the department the opportunity to provide provisional licensure. What we've seen often is that the the department may want to actually give a provisional license or a temporary license, but they're waiting on a board to meet. And these boards that grant the licenses are governor appointees who meet maybe quarterly, sometimes even not even quarterly. And so they'll be waiting, waiting, waiting for the board. And meanwhile, good people that have moved here or got through this waiting. And so, you know, what the bill does is it allows the department to actually look at all things considered and say, okay, there's no criminal record. You know, they've been practicing before. It looks like they'll be approved by the board. And so therefore go ahead and start work. We'll contact you if there's an issue or when it's approved. But in the meantime, everything looks like you're, you're a competent, well-trained, cosmetologist or whatever your profession is, go ahead and start practicing the profession. And you don't have to be under the direction of, you know, someone else in the profession. It's not just like, yeah, go out there and hang a shingle, but it's just a common sense thing that we could do in order to not have the state bureaucracy or I should say actually the state boards that aren't meeting as frequently um, to make sure they're not holding up someone's opportunity to work or for someone's opportunity to employ someone. That seems to be common sense. Yeah, a lot of common sense stuff in Madison is pretty hard, but I think we have some momentum. <laughs> we, had a Senate, we had a Senate hearing on this. It went well. The Assembly were waiting on the hearing, but I think we have some momentum on it. What are the chances that Senate Bill 322 is going to become law? Does this bill have bipartisan support? Yeah, I think it has bipartisan support. Um, I'm pretty sure. I don't have it in front of me, but... Um, I have found that mostly it's Republicans that are open to these sorts of reforms, but there all are also some Democrats, particularly um, my, my district, by the way, is includes the city of Milwaukee. Uh, it's about half Milwaukee County, half Waukesha County. And I have particularly found that my colleagues in the African-American community um, that have folks that are trying to climb that economic ladder is that they get these issues. They get that the hurdles disproportionately hurt their communities. I mean, I've been blessed, um, very blessed. I'm in a much different position uh, for my kids than I was, uh, you know, coming up, growing up. And my parents worked so hard. I'm so grateful. But, you know, my daughter says, hey, I want to become a beautician. Like, I'm going to send her to the school. She'll have the time, show the money. We'll make it happen, right? Like, we'll make it happen. But if you are in the central city um, or if you're in a rural part of the state and, like, you don't have that family support structure and you, you just got out of high school and, and you don't know how to navigate it all, it's really intimidating. And the system is 
they're really keeping people out, not pulling people in. And so that's where I found a lot of, uh, a lot of support for this as well is, is some of the Democrats colleagues in those communities. And I, and I really appreciate it. Well, I do remember because I was there for the, the testimony on that bill back in 2017, but Democrat state Senator Lena Taylor supported that bill for exactly the reasons that you just mentioned. There's another Senate bill 233 uh, that's also seeking to remove hurdles to people going to work in Wisconsin. Can you explain the concept of passive review of a license application and, and tell us exactly what that bill would do? So essentially, the bill streamlines professional licensure process and it provides a, uh, like a passive review process. And what we mean by that is that after reviewing a complete application, then the department can forward the application um, to the board. And if the board doesn't take action, it's assumed that that person is approved. And the reason for this is that once again, these boards would meet and they would go to the agenda and go through things and, oh, look at the time. We have to adjourn. And so, therefore, they wouldn't get to all the candidates they have packets before them. So what the bill essentially says is that if a credentialing board has a delay and backlogs, is they don't have to spend time on every single candidate, is that they could spend the time on candidates that deserve more attention. And the candidates that are very clean, that have do not have any issues, they, you know, they have the they have the power to bring them up. They could talk about them, but the presumption would change from everyone is not qualified and they have to be reviewed to the board to the presumption that they are qualified unless certain red flags are are brought up to the board. Well, that seems once again to be a common sense solution to help people get back to work. We all know what a tremendous problem we have in Wisconsin finding people to fill jobs right now. Senator, it seems that oftentimes government creates as many problems as it's trying to fix. One of those problems is what has come to be known as the benefits cliff. What is the benefits cliff, and how does it affect the 1.2 million people in Wisconsin who are on the Badger Care program right now? Well, it's, it's Badger Care, which is Medicaid, for those that know. It's school choice. It's uh, food assistance. It's rent assistance. I mean, essentially what it means is that we understand how our progressive income tax works. That means that you, know, you make your first dollar, it's not taxed. You make your $10,000, then it's taxed at 4%, and then it goes up to 6 and then 7 So there's this resistance of, like, every single time that you make more money, the government takes more of it. Well, that's on the income tax side. On the benefit side, there are very, very steep cliffs that you fall over if you make too much money. Let me give you a real-life example that just happened in my life in the, this past spring. Um, my civilian job, I work at a manufacturing company. And at that manufacturing company, we have a gentleman on the floor who I become friends with. He went to jail for uh, pretty serious stuff, was in jail for decades, got out and changed his life around and said, he met a great woman, relationship with God, like things are going well. He has two of his older kids in Augustine Prep, which is a high-performing Christian choice school on the south side of Milwaukee. I asked him this past spring on a given day, I said, hey, how's, how's, it, how's it going? He said, oh, man, I got... Uh, not good, not good. I said, what's wrong? He said, well, we went to go enroll our youngest in Augustine Prep, 
and she's not eligible for school choice. My wife and I made too much money last year. And sure enough, like what happened was with the choice program is once you're in, you're always in. So his older two are good indefinitely, but like his youngest wasn't in the choice program yet. So they went to go enroll them and they looked at their income and between him and his wife, we've been working very, very hard. I think it was something like they made $98,000. The cutoff for the program was like 97,200. So he was looking at, since they didn't qualify for school choice and he was, he definitely wanted to send his kid there. He's looking at $10,000 a year in tuition on the low side times 12 years. So $120,000 mistake because he made too much money. In fact, he made about $800 too much money. So making $800 too much money meant that he's paying about $120,000 on the low end of tuition for the 12 years to keep his kid at Christian school, keep his family together. So fortunately, he came to a CPA and I was able to like, hey, we could... Maurice, we could do this, we could do that, we could uh, put money into an IRA, we'll get that money below, we'll get your dollar amount below that amount. And so we got them snuck in there by doing some fancy accounting tricks. But a lot of people don't know accountants, and they don't know fancy accounting tricks that they're legislators to, get, to, to make that happen. And that's just the school of choice program. I mean, if you look at Medicaid, like if you make a dollar too much, all of a sudden you go and like there's no Medicaid and then you need to go find private insurance for $2,000 a month. So the point is on all these on all these government programs is I really, 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 really ever hear Republicans to take them away. I mean, we all understand that government's there for a purpose. There's what Paul Ryan used to call the safety net. There's a, there's a purpose to that. But what we should do is then create a ramp and say, okay, this is how you slowly lose these benefits to give some incentive and not punish people for work because they – need work, not from a monetary perspective, but for their own self-worth and their own value and their own relationships. And so that's what attacking these benefit cliffs are all about. We encounter this situation frequently in our businesses. We have a number of young single mothers who are on the Badger Care program. They will turn down raises. They will turn down promotions. They will turn down working more hours because they they make a, a logical decision. They don't want to lose the health insurance benefit for themselves and their child. And that just doesn't make any sense to me. We're trapping people into this cycle of dependency. It seems to me the logical thing to do here is to taper the, the benefit so that as people earn more money, they start to take on more of the cost of that benefit so that at some point they can actually work their way off of that government program, whatever it might be. I think this is about government being smarter in the way that we craft these programs. That probably leads us to our next podcast we should do together, which is about federalism, because on so many of these programs are federally mandated and the rules are federally governed. And we have very, very, very limited flexibility at the state level to deal with a lot of these cliffs. So that's a whole other podcast, but hey, I really appreciate you guys doing this. Well, Thank and, and the, other, the other thing we should mention here is that the Wisconsin State Legislature had tried to get an exemption in Badger Care so that they could do just what I said, create that tapering of benefits, and that was struck down not too long ago by the Biden administration. Isn't that right? The Trump administration gave a lot more flexibility, which we appreciate, not as much as we wanted. 
But yeah, we're already seeing a lot of that flexibility uh, not being granted anymore or even reverting the other direction. Well, we would love to have you come back and chat with us about that some other time. Senator, we appreciate your time today. This has been great conversation, and I'm looking forward to our next chat. Hey, thanks. That was awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I'm Bill Fian, And I'm Jen O'Brien, and this was another episode of Fact Check. You can join the conversation on our Facebook group, Fact Check Wisdom, and subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts.